your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Chargecast, the only podcast on the internet that still believes in Big Ten basketball. We're gonna one of these years, man. One of these years, it's gonna happen. Just not this year. Uh, tonight on the Chargecast, we discuss the Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight in review, which should end because of the Big Ten's first weekend flameout. Probably not gonna take us that long. And then we'll go through a little bit of the early postseason storylines. And, you know, we have three conference teams who made coaching hires of uh, ranging from meh to what? So not to mention, there's also a coaching vacancy that you don't think could get your coach, but they could. Right. So Sweet 16 in the lead action again for the Big Ten, relatively straightforward in that only one of the conference's nine teams to make the field was even playing this past weekend. Those being the regular season champion, asterisk, I'll throw you that really quick, um, Wolverines. So in the round of 16, I'm sorry, in the, yeah, the Sweet 16, Michigan basically got essentially a replay of their round of 32 game because there's a lot of parallels between Florida State and LSU. I'm not talking in terms of scheme or particular talent. Basically, just the overview of the program, which is lots of really talented athletes, a couple NBA prospects, terrible in-game coaching. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later when we get to the UCLA game, which was just last night as we're sitting here talking. We'll get to some issues you could take with late game play calling and game management from Juwan Howard, but whatever issues you want to take with how he's approached late game situations a couple of times, he's, I mean, he's got the get, he's the galaxy brain compared to what you're getting from Will Wade and Leonard Hamilton and the way they just, there's just no direction. Like half time you can't tell what they're trying to do other than be big and fast uh, which, by the way, is a perfectly good strategy a lot of the time. But when you get into single elimination against other teams that have comparable or at least somewhat comparable athletes, you get what you saw, which is, I mean, Michigan worked Florida State over. It was from probably about the, what, 12, 10-minute mark in the first half. It really wasn't competitive after that. Michigan was dramatically the better team. And Florida State's way around it, they, they didn't change anything. Well, it's just one of those things when you talk about coaches and and you see this a lot with coaches that don't, um, you know, that that you'd say don't achieve to their talent level is that they've got basically one move. They've got the one dance move. And if, if they're not, you know, if, if, if it doesn't, if it's not looking hot to anybody in the club, then they're just going to have to move on. Um, And in that, I mean, we're, we're talking the most notorious example I can think of is Quanzo Martin. Um, because especially not even so much for Mizzou, because uh, one of those porters did get injured for the one season that they were there. But the, <laughs> the time that he failed to make the tournament at Cal with like two NBA players was just astonishing. Yeah. And 
so the what the first thing I guess I would that I would say about that Sweet 16 game is Hamilton did a terrible job of navigating foul trouble for his guys. Um, he, he had a cut. He had I think three of his main players ended up with four fouls. And it just like there's just there was no rhythm to it at all. He he let his team shoot 23s in a game when they only made five, and four of those were made by one player by Osborne. So that he was letting any everybody else continue to jack up these threes. I mean, he's got a guy who's probably going to go in the top ten of the draft in Scotty Barnes, and you gave him eleven shots, but then MJ Walker takes another fourteen when they're both shooting massively and efficiently, it was, it was a bizarre game. And it's not like, you know, Michigan sure didn't bathe themselves in glory on offense. Their final total ended up being considerable because Florida state was frantically fouling for the last several minutes of the game. And Michigan ended up with 15 points at the free throw line. Most of that was in the last seven or eight minutes of the game. But before that, yeah, I mean, the only thing that would have been slightly concerning about this game, if you're a Michigan fan, is the way your major guys shot so inefficiently. Your opponent was bad enough, played such terrible defense, fouled so much that you made up the points in other ways. But that was a cold shooting day in, you know, in a situation where you, you were going to face an opponent as capable defensively in the next round, most likely. Now we'll get to who they actually ended up facing in a minute, but it just kind of a, a, a strange game from Florida state in that it, they never had a counter punch and perhaps that shouldn't be all that surprising, but for a team that played its way to a four seed, albeit perhaps on a little bit of a weaker ACC than usual uh, for them to just have really no answer. Like <laughs> there was visibly no answer for long stretches of this game for Florida state and Michigan's good defensively, but they're not holding you to 21 points in the first half when you have probably three NBA players. Like Michigan's defense isn't that good. So I thought that game was a lot more about Florida State than it was about Michigan. Look again, credit to the Wolverines for taking the the free game when it was offered. Well, I mean, and also credit to them because that's who Michigan has been. They 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 do their thing and they've been content to let other teams just kind of uh, you know, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, basically. Um, they won a lot of games in the Big Ten by just kind of uh, doing the exact same thing that they did with Florida State here. Yeah, but then <laughs> as much as they dictated pace and style in this game, when we got to the Elite Eight, we got to last night's game, it was such a day and night difference. Um, and again, we've talked about this before. It is much easier, especially in a tournament setting, for a team that plays slow and grinds out the shot clock to dictate that tempo than it is to try to speed an opponent up against their will. Because obviously when you have the basketball, you make the choice about when your shot goes up. So if you choose to use the entire shot clock and then send all five guys back on defense, instead of crashing the offensive boards, you can very much shorten a game. And there's only so much your opponent can do about it. If you are any good at all at taking care of the ball. So that's how UCLA ends up dictating tempo in this game. 
you know, that's not necessarily a huge disadvantage for Michigan, though, because both teams played really short benches here with the livers injury. Michigan only played seven guys in this game. UCLA got a little bit deeper, but most of their guys were, I mean, they they had four guys play more than 33 or more minutes and then basically split the center time between a couple of guys because of foul trouble to their starter, Riley. Um, but they really only played six guys. Michigan only played seven. So normally if you're a team like Michigan, that's fine with you because you don't play much of a bench anyway. But what it does allow them to do is play their star players the whole game just like you were. And then the other thing about dictating game terms. So the real story of why UCLA was able to win this game is because Johnny Juzang's on a heater through most of this tournament. I don't think anyone's going to compare him to Shabazz Napier or anything, but it's, you know, when we were talking about early favorites to make deep runs in the tournament, we talked about, well, who's the team that has that go-to guard, the primary ball handler. We usually think of it as a primary ball handler, but even just a wing guy who can reliably get buckets on his own, make big plays, and is not afraid of the moment. And UConn was a popular pick because they had book night and everyone thought of him that way because, you know, him being at UConn, the comparisons are too easy. And you're saying that Michigan didn't try to trap him every time he stepped across half court? Well, no, and I'm not saying that you have to go to that extent, but... Yeah, but as I've learned, it helps. Sure it does. It helps if only because it takes them out of their set, even though they're trying to use the whole shot clock anyway, you still want to throw some interference to what they're doing once what they're doing works. And I understand that from a meta perspective, the way the, the meta game in basketball now is... On defense, you're just trying to force your opponent into inefficient shots, meaning you want to protect the rim and you want to guard the three-point line. If your opponent is willing to take long two-pointers, you let them do it. And that's what Juzang did. Because here's, I mean, his stat line is 11 for 19, but he only attempted five threes and he's not a post player. So he's taking a lot of long two-point shots. Normally, over the course of a season, that's fine. In a single elimination format like this, if your opponent has a guy who has shown a willingness to take and make those shots, at some point you got to try to take those away from him a little bit, you know? And that they never did that. I mean, again, this is the game. UCLA scored 51 points. Juzang had 28 of those. That they never tried a different strategy to deny him those shots was mystifying. And again, look, the other thing is, Juzang rolled his ankle, so down the stretch, he wasn't giving him anything offensively either. So you then look at the other end of the court, and you talk about Michigan's struggles on the offensive end, and struggles is a really, really polite term for what the Wolverines puked up on that court. Um, 14 turnovers, 3 out of 11 three-point shooting. They... (laughs) They only missed five three free throws, but they only attempted 11. And a couple of those were misses down the stretch when it's a one, two, three-point game. Um, again, it's just like you, see, you look at the shooting lines from the guys who take most of the shots for Michigan, one for 10 from Franz Wagner, one for seven from Mike Smith. Dickinson was better. He made five out of his 10 shots, but they only get him 10 attempts. And then he's normally a good free throw shooter, and he goes one for four from the line, including – two misses on a two-shot opportunity down the stretch. like In a two-point loss. 
yeah, man. I mean, there's, there's so many, so many things along the way here where your, your opponent is fundamentally limited. Cause again, they got 28 from Juzang, 11 from Tiger Campbell, and then 12 points from everyone else on the roster. <laughs> and you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't get to 52 in an elite eight game. And I know UCLA has proven to be a little bit, but like they have maybe some, maybe they're a little bit better in a tournament format than they are over the course of the regular season, because they know at this point who their horses are and they're just going to ride them and short benches matter a little bit less in the tournament. Cause you don't mind, you're going all in on every game anyway. Maybe that's part of the reason UCLA has gotten where they are now. But I'll tell you, the game against Michigan State, they did not look like anything special to me, which was part of the reason that loss was so infuriating. But hey, at least we took them to overtime. But I mean, if you look at their roster, a lot of talent from the, you know, just as far as recruiting ranking is con- rankings are concerned. Um, oh, yeah. A lot that's, of a, that's a stacked talent. roster. It is. But it's also a, a roster that a couple of the, the guys who they were going to be starting in their front court are both injured. Um, Mac Etienne is a guy who just joined the midseason. You know, like we had a couple guys in the Big Ten do that. So, although he's, I think, considered as a pretty well-regarded recruit, he's not giving him much right now because he's just too young and new to the game. Yeah, I would. I wasn't saying stacked roster as in uniquely stacked, but like for Power Five, you know, upper end. Yeah, no, nobody would mistake UCLA's roster for. You know, a Cinderella, a Sunbelt team, or uh, George Mason. Yeah, right. It, it's not like it's not like there's a couple of JUCO transfers and a couple of three stars, and the coach is using alchemy. Mick Cronin is definitely working with kind of a weird shaped roster here that probably doesn't resemble what he's going to do once he's been there for a couple of years. But um, man, this this is an opportunity. To, to play an 11 seed in the elite eight. Like I, I believe this is only the second time that an 11 seed or higher meaning higher number has made it to the final four. I could be wrong about that, but I believe that was the figure I saw somewhere. Where would, didn't Loyola make the final four as something lower than that because Virginia got knocked out in the first round. I thought they were a 10 that year, but I could. Be oh wrong. yeah, I think so. Uh, but I, anyway, I mean, even if that's the case, there's been a few other teams still. We were one surprising outcome in this game away from one of the chalkier Final Fours in recent memory. Not was the, I mean, like, think back to the absolute chaos of the first weekend of the tournament, especially for the Big Ten. And then fast forward to, you know, if Michigan just doesn't stumble at the finish line, the Final Four would still be three ones and a two. Like, <laughs> um, anyway... So, well, I mean, I still believe that the one seeds for this tournament had some unusually strong teams, even for like the best teams in college basketball. Um, I believe Gonzaga and Baylor um, are, are on that level. I have no idea what to believe about Illinois, but they certainly certainly put together a resume that would suggest that they were capable of playing at that level, even if they didn't always choose to. Well, when we say relative to normal, I mean... Think about the more typical Duke and Kentucky teams you see where they've got all this incredible talent and they do put it together. Like, are we saying that this year's Baylor team is really any better than, you know, think about like the Okafor, um, Tyus Jones title team Duke had a few years ago. Like, I don't know what they are. But what about Gonzaga? 
Well, I mean, they're obviously the dominant favorite what's left in the field now. They were the substantial favorite to win it all before the whole thing started. Even in the conference they play in, going undefeated is not exactly the easiest thing to do in the world. In the world that they were really only tested a couple of times this year. So, if you were to consider there, I mean, I don't want I don't want to move on to that quite yet because we're not quite done with Michigan here. Um, we mentioned in our recap of the Big Ten tournament that Juwan Howard's late game management sort of iffy. I mean. It, it does feel like Monday morning quarterbacking to use the phrase um, a bit, because obviously you're in a one possession game, you're giving a ball to your senior point guard. But in this case, we just saw that a little while ago. And especially considering that in both of these games, you've been in the bonus. I don't remember. I don't remember if Michigan was in the double bonus last night or not at the end of the game, but UCLA's best big man left on the roster Riley had fouled out and Hunter Dickinson did not touch the ball on the last possession of the game in a two-point game that's coaching malpractice to me I understand you want to put it in the hands of your senior point guard you know he's not been with you all that long but still senior veteran point guard proven shot maker but I also think game rhythm and this is the kind of the same thing I was getting at with how you guard Juzang earlier game rhythm ought to dictate that you adjust things a little bit along the way. This is the kind of decision that I think is easy to, to second guess, by the way, because again, Smith and Wagner take your last two shots, but that just moved them from two for 15 to two for 17 between the two of them. I still don't understand how Dickinson doesn't even get a touch on those possessions. And if it's maybe I'm just missing the X's and O's part of it where UCLA is denying the post entry or something, that could be. That's why you draw up the play out of timeout to make sure that it happens the way that you want it to. So make no mistake, this is um this is a big missed opportunity. So before we start getting into the final four matchups, and we'll talk about those a little bit. Um, there's a couple things that I think are simultaneously true. One, Juwan Howard in Michigan had a fantastic season dramatically outperformed expectations. Most people, I think, had them pegged as kind of the middle of the pack in the Big Ten because of everything they lost from last year and how strong the conference looked coming in. So it's not that those are unreasonable predictions, but they far exceeded them. They get the regular season title under whatever strange circumstances. They get a one seed. And all that being said, it can also be true that he and his team just blew one of the easiest final four banners they'll ever hang one seed that was fantastic for most of the season their bracket again winds up for michigan so that they don't have to play the two seed they don't have to play the three seed in their region and the four both the four seed and the eight seed their second and third games are against very talented but terribly coached opponents and then you get an 11 that was in the first four as your game in the elite eight and you score 49 points. I understand that there's still a lot to like about how Dewan Howard has handled the first couple years at Michigan. I'm not disagreeing with that, but the fact that the sports media here locally has very quickly turned in their hymnal to the page of things are just getting started for Jawan at Michigan. Look to the brighter tomorrow. You know what? Maybe they are. 
Juwan showed a Howard showed a very deft hand at finding landing and integrating to high impact transfers. He has an impact freshman and a couple guys who look promising. I mean, really, they didn't get much out of their freshman other than Dickinson, but they didn't need much out of their freshman other than Dickinson. And he's certainly got the recruiting part of this rolling and that they've got a fantastic recruiting class coming in next year. But a couple of warnings that I would throw out there about assuming that because you have this banner year, everything is going to continue to roll and missing this shot at a title in a final four is really not that big of a problem. Wind the clocks back to December of 2016. I don't remember the exact date, but set your time travel destination to a week after the Michigan Ohio state football game that year, where I'm sure you all recall Michigan was, uh, shall we say, a dicey spot, depending on which side you land on, against Ohio State, away from beating the Buckeyes for the second time, like, this century. Almost certainly winning the conference and going to a college football playoff. Did we not hear very similar refrains, especially from the Detroit sports media, about Jim Harbaugh at that time? Oh, this is disappointing, but everything is working out. This, this is awesome. We're going in the right direction. Future is going to be bright. How many trophies do you have in the case five years later? Nothing is guaranteed in college sports unless you are the deepest blue of blue bloods. And if it's not guaranteed for Michigan football, it sure as hell isn't guaranteed for Michigan basketball. Well, you've put me in the awkward position where I kind of have to push back a little bit only because Everything that is true about Juwan Howard at Michigan is also true about Brad Underwood at Illinois. I will also say the thing about football for Michigan is that uh, Michigan football had been relatively adrift for, um, you know, for a number of years before Jim Harbaugh went there and now they, they finish in the top 10. So you still have to feel very good about where they started versus where they were even if this isn't necessarily sustainable, but Michigan basketball has been to as many elite eight has been to uh, yeah, let's see uh, more elite eights than Michigan state in the last 10 years. Um, you and I know that's true, but think back to when Juwan Howard was hired and how much, especially his former teammate, Jalen Rose was quick to point out, Oh man, he's going to breathe new life into this program. He's going to take us back to the promised land where we belong. I think just remember how quickly that fan base and that media pool was willing to crumple up and toss away everything John Beeline did there. Cause it's, I'm not saying it was across the board. Plenty of people made it sound like Howard had an empty cupboard to work with. It was a weird shaped team he had last year. No question. But to suggest that he inherited nothing that he was starting from scratch and was going to create this renaissance of his own making that was the dominant narrative at least to my recollection right and I definitely recall that but at the same time since we both know that that wasn't really true um (laughs) since we both know that that's not and this is what's frustrating right because blind squirrel nut if you will as far as the uh well Let's see. We're we're really talking about like Wojo from ninety seven one, aren't we? Um, so, because we both know it's not true that Howard inherited nothing, 
it's also true that you wouldn't have to do yeoman's work to necessarily sustain. It's not the same as bringing a program out of obscurity. The program's kind of already there. Like it, it's been shown recently that you can win and go to the NBA playing for Michigan. Yeah. Right. So that, and that, I think going to the NBA, I'm starting to see like that matters to a lot of people because like, that's kind of when Gonzaga's recruiting really oh, dude, yeah. shot off of the course. mat was when yeah. they started producing players that produced in the NBA. Yeah. That's been true forever. I mean, honestly, Damanis Sabonis has done a lot more for Gonzaga than Adam Morrison ever did. Thanks a lot. Myers Leonard. That was really <laughs> helpful. Well, um, I mean, until, until he did the words this year, he was at least collecting a paycheck. Like I, I think he's he was probably a positive note in Illinois. But but the other thing is, and again, I, I this is where I'm in an awkward position because I sort of have to believe similar narratives to what they're saying about Howard versus Brad Underwood at Illinois. The difference being that Howard has a very good recruiting class lined up, and Underwood at this point does not, because we can't really say that things are just getting started here, even though it was his fourth year and the results have been, you know, better every single year. It's kind of a thing where the, the, the it just seems like we won't be able to assemble. It just seems unlikely to be able to assemble, uh, you know, talent quite to that level. Um, and so I kind of have to believe very similar narratives that like okay yes yes we blew one of the easiest paths to the final four that we were going to get Loyola notwithstanding once we beat you know if we beat Loyola I think Illinois cruises to the final four um but yes that happened and yeah we're not we might never get a chance this good again but it's in a better place than it was before he came here. And, and, you know, it, it's kind of like, it, it's like when a stock, ex- it's like when GameStop exploded. Well, it's, it it's going to come back to GameStop. It's currently, because I haven't sold my other eight shares yet. And it's sustaining <laughs> a level that's like way the hell above where it was before all of this was, but nowhere near the peak that it hit during that explosion at the end of January. So it's like, okay, so there might still be a case for the future, but it's also not going to get to that peak again. Ooh, so you are a Illini hands to the moon, huh? Well, <laughs> no, I'm not. Honestly, I'm still, and this is what, you know, you asked me if I was uh, feeling any better about this. And it's kind of like a long time ago before I had any idea what I was doing, but I did have some like holdings in the background. I, I, I lost a bunch of money holding HH Greg shares. I'm not sure why I talked myself into buying. And then after I sold them, like later I found out that they went out of business and I was like, well, good. But that didn't give me my money back. I'd much rather have had the money I lost. That just <laughs> like, that's, that's how good it made, me, it made me feel that Michigan lost. It's like, oh, okay that's like a drop in the bucket compared to what <laughs> well, sure, I, blowing I, it did. I understand this doesn't exactly make you whole, but you, it like basically, no, you, in fact, the way you put it was 
you believed in your heart that Michigan was destined to win the national title, probably the outcome, you know, given that I think by then Kansas, no, Kansas was still around, but yeah, Kansas, North was Carolina, Duke were all out or didn't make the tournament anyway. But from the point it was 9-2 Loyola over Illinois, you declared that Michigan was definitely going to win the national title. Because, because fuck it, me, because right? It was thing, yeah, because it was a thing that would have pissed you off the most. So, Well, my Bavada account is now empty because I put it all into Michigan insurance. Uh, just like I did when they were in the title game a few years ago. I bought Michigan insurance, and I'll tell you what, I lost all that money, but I think it was a good investment. So when you, I get what you're saying, right? Which is that you bet in such a way that you can either be happy or you can have some money to compensate you for your lack of hat, right? You bet against the result that you want. So what I'm curious about working in the insurance field myself, I wonder when you buy that kind of insurance is- Why I didn't buy Loyola insurance, I have no idea. Because yeah. I said that was very possible from the beginning. Yeah, man, that's passing on flood insurance when you live in New Orleans, but I don't know what you were thinking there. Uh. <laughs> but I guess this kind of, the, the idea that, that, that certain very, very uniquely good opportunities were thrown away sort of leads into the next part of your outline, which says that, well, it basically just says Dan Marino. Yeah. And that's, look, that's the final point I want to make here. It's one thing to be confident in where your program is right now and where it's coming to believe that more good things will happen. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be very irritated that your team, which by the way, again, does anyone question that Michigan was the vastly superior team versus UCLA? I mean, this isn't just that you didn't win the tournament. It's that you sustained an upset, even as deep as the elite eight, on par with anything else that happened in this tournament. In my mind, this is not a whole lot better than Ohio State losing the mouth bob from perspective of how much better you are than the opponent. Like, I don't think it's quite that bad. Um, We're talking orders of magnitude. I I disagree. I disagree because of the stakes. Ohio State's just one more list. It's just one more bullet point on a list now. Michigan, I think, is probably going to be the first team that's lost this late in the tournament to a playing team, for one thing. And again, uh, VCU did go to the Final Four after being a playing team, though. That was back when Shaka Smart could coach in the tournament. Yeah, I suppose. But look, I, I think the point stands, all right, which is that if you want to tell yourself, well, it's fine that we screwed up this prime opportunity because there's going to be plenty more, you don't know that. You don't know what the future holds. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily shrug this off and try to claim that everything is okay. This is a big missed opportunity. Um, well, yeah, you know, when we got, when Illinois got their ass beat in the Rose Bowl, I was a bright-eyed freshman and I realized that like we had a lot of senior leaders on that roster, but also like some of the skilled players, like Juice Williams was a sophomore, like, we had Aurelius Ben was a, was a true freshman and we had all of this young talent and it's like, man, Illinois football is set up to like be a thing the whole time I'm here. And it's like, they still haven't had a season half as good as that ever since. So the difference here is that, I mean, I, I really, I would be hard pressed to say that Michigan won't have, 
at the very least a top four seed sometime in the next couple of years. Like sure. I would be, I'd be shocked if they didn't, uh, I'd be shocked if they didn't get at least a three seed in the next three years. Sure. So let's say you get a three seed in the next three years. Do you think you're going to have a path to the final four that doesn't involve playing to the other two best teams in your part of the bracket? Like it's not just that. The, it, it, it depends. Need, it's not that there's anything unique about the quality of this team the road that you had to get there is part of it too. And it depends again, not, who coaches the one league. seeds, who coaches the one seeds. Are we talking? Is it, is it Shaka smart, Rick Barnes, Brad Underwood and <laughs> Quanzo Martin? Because those coaches aren't good enough to get one seeds. Uh, one of them was <laughs> right once. And we saw how that went. So, I mean, honestly, uh, no, do I think Michigan's going to get put in a field where their one seed is Illinois and they're the three? No, that seems kind of unlikely. Um, but anyway. Oh, really? You don't see foresee the 14-team Big Ten uh, NCAA tournament happening? No. 14-bid league? <laughs> the all-bid league? I don't even – could that – would that even be that's, – that's not even remotely possible, I don't think, is it? Everyone it goes 10 and 10. It can't be. <laughs> Everybody wins every non-conference game and then goes 10 and 10 in conference. And then, every, and then the entire Big Ten field loses in the first weekend. Oh, my. Can you imagine the rapture that the national media types would have pissing down on us flyover country folk? Oh, geez. It would be the end of days. And, all right. And I'll talk about that. Let's, let's it's such an uneasy – it was such an uneasy feeling laughing at the misfortunes of Ohio State and Purdue, feeling like I was whistling past the great, just because like oh, I yeah. was very, had, very conscious of my own mortality in that situation. You absolutely should not have done that. Um, I, on the other hand, was cackling hysterically because, again, it has anyone said a word about Michigan State's face plant that first night, that late Thursday game? No, because 12 hours later, basically, <laughs> Big Ten teams started eating shit that had much higher expectations than we did. So, okay, so the rest of the Final Four, yeah, um, we're, we're riding with Gonzaga as the obvious choice. Yeah, as the obvious logical choice, as the best team remaining, and also as the team you should be rooting for. At least that's a position I'm going to take. Which so. is such a weird thing, isn't it? I don't that's think so. honestly, I mean, that's that's that just doesn't seem to happen that often. No, um, I don't. I don't find anything inherently unlikable about Gonzaga, though. I mean, neither do Mark, I. Mark Few is a subdued, fairly reasonable coach. His teams recently have been fairly offensively oriented. They always have fun guys, you know, quirky guys. Timmy's got the goofy facial hair, and Kispert does the headband. Um, Jalen Suggs is a two-way monster, so he's just entertaining. Yeah, and he's it, built yeah. a national basketball powerhouse in a cave with scrap metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark Few built this in a cave with a box of scraps. Yeah, so <laughs> which, and, and that's the thing. Like, it just seems having watched enough of these tournaments, it just seems really unlikely that they'll win because they seem to be the best team and the most likable. Yeah. So before before we move on though, who is the what is the fan base that is doing the Obadiah stain yelling at the scientists? I think it's Texas, um, but I could be wrong about that. I mean, can you think of a better fan base that would fit that particular emotional state? 
No, I mean, I know Illinois, uh, Illinois fans have gotten a real reputation for being extremely online lately, but we're still just too sad to be angry. Uh, it feels like that's going to recede. I guess we'll see. Um, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, we get to pivot to the joy that is Illinois football. Oh, the boy. era begins when does spring football begin? Oh, it's already started. Well, I mean, like the game. Oh, I don't know, but it's on a Monday night and it's actually going to happen this year and we're actually promoting it. So once again, the dude just continues to do all the obvious things that you're like, well, yeah, of course a Big Ten football coach is going to do this. But I keep forgetting (laughs) just how big a deal that is for somebody to do that at Illinois. Yeah, that you can no longer take that for granted. So I've never been able to. I mean, you know, you just always hear about how last couple of coaches it's always been well yeah of course they had a bear covered how could anybody possibly have won with the dudes that they had left you know of course they had to clean house and then jeff brom goes and takes daryl hazel's team to a bowl game and it's like <laughs> well yeah but that 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 guy was a good coach we like you know we just don't get that. anyway uh there will be so many yeah. more no i'm not ready for illinois football yet <laughs> so in the terms of the rest of the field then you've got gonzaga fantastically entertaining team really no you know off the court things to go against them their opponent in the final four team we just spent a good amount of time talking about is ucla and hey look look at that a plucky little upstart an 11 seed crashing the final four that's a cinderella story if you've ever heard it right except you know most cinderellas aren't trying to hang their 12th national championships yeah it reminds me a bit of when uconn went on that run from the eight seed and it was like, can you believe the slipper still fits? The <laughs> Connecticut Huskies have somehow found their way to, they won their fourth national title in 15 years. Yes, I can believe it. What are you talking <laughs> tiny, about? Tiny little upstart Connecticut. <laughs> right. So, but, and I've, I've said this, I've been maintaining this, that being in the club is, a, is the surest predictor, predictor of national title winning ability if you've already won one at some point, which is why Virginia was such a surprise to me because Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, broke a very long streak, the longest streak in the history of the NCAA tournament of teams that already had title banners winning them. It went back to 2006 when Florida won their first. Yeah, that's right. Which again, like that shouldn't come as a surprise because not only... To me, it's really even more selective than that. I think you could probably find some time frame. Like, have you won a title banner within the last 30 years? And that's probably more strongly predictive. I mean, you know, most years, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, like those are the teams that are going to be most likely to win it. But Villanova then, went all out into the wilderness for quite a while and came back and won national titles. It yeah. seems like having had that banner just made it more likely. Yeah, so... I do, I do hope that Gonzaga ends up winning it because then you look on the other side of the bracket and you've got Baylor, which I get that their crimes time-wise are receding in the rearview mirror, but there's still the institutional grossness there. Um, and then you've got Houston with a known cheater as their head coach, and perhaps he's reformed, but <laughs> really, does anybody believe that? Um I'm at the point where I just want to see Houston get smashed into oblivion just to validate my, my, uh, my sincerely held belief that Illinois had one of the easiest paths to the final four one seed has ever had. And they blew it. 
And I just want to be able to, to just have some definitive proof that I was right. And therefore um, I can take down a little more of this Malort. I don't think them losing decisively to probably the second best team in the field and in the country is necessarily going to give you evidence of that. I mean, they're going to lose by more than we did. (laughs) Yes. Um, But, you know, of the two final four games, I do think that Houston Baylor is probably going to be the better one. Um, Gonzaga lit USC on fire. I mean, USC is, USC is arguably fairly similar to UCLA in that they've got their, their go-to guys. And that's kind of, um, you know, they ride or die. I mean, they're their go-to scorer. I mean, those, the Mobley brothers and Isaiah white, I would take those three guys over anybody who plays for UCLA. Yes. Even after seeing the run Juzang's been on and the way Jaime or Jamie Jaka has lit my team on fire. He has not sustained that through the rest of the tournament, by the way, (laughs) glad to see it was a one night thing. Um, but yeah, I, UCL, USC's top end talent is as good, if not better than Gonzaga's. I mean, they don't go nearly as deep, but yeah, the way that few just took Andy Enfield apart in that game. Yeah. Was, like, know. yeah, USC is arguably similar to UCLA, but better. And Gonzaga within the first half had like, you know, fully hoisted them by their underwear elastic up the flagpole yeah and what Gonzaga has shown is whatever speed you try to play them at they're still gonna score on most possessions <laughs> so you, you can play them a slow tempo if you want you're gonna have 50 and they're gonna have 70 <laughs> like they're totally it would have been pretty fun to see them incinerate Iowa well yeah but we just I would have wanted to see how high they could make their score I guess, but we did. But they have gotten that. over a hundred easily. Yeah, well, especially just because it's the same Iowa minus Jack Nungy. So <laughs> I don't think that you know, not like he was a huge difference maker, but it's one less piece. So I think we kind of agree in how we want this season weekend to go and how it's probably. Although I, you know, I guess to be honest with you, I don't know that Houston's gonna or that Baylor is gonna run over Houston. I think that game is probably the more competitive, both because the two teams are both pretty good. And then there's also the fact that the line, the last line I saw for Gonzaga UCLA was 14 points, which is, I believe a record in the history of, you know, modern betting for final four games. So, you know, UCLA has been an underdog in this tournament, a couple team, a couple times, but this feels a little different. Uh, They haven't run into anybody quite like what they're going to see on Saturday. Yeah, so. I still don't particularly give a shit. I'm just going to be trying to watch Illinois gymnastics their way out of uh, an awful regional matchup with Florida and uh, also Minnesota and some dudes. And because, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm rolling with plucky upstart Illinois instead of uh, you know massive favorite to go a long way Illinois. Source for Big Ten Cog, it's a tackle empire.